we were in the midst of our uh, beautiful class, um, still addressing the issue of the Supreme Court ruling um, from that perspective, meaning as to what's from the halacha perspective as how halacha views um, transsexuals, uh, well, more than that, meaning the question is, we've discussed about the surgery, I won't, I won't go over everything, that um, can someone, may someone who has gender dysphoria have the surgery, and we said the halachic issues, I think we mentioned at least five halachic issues with having the surgery, um, of why it would be prohibited, some of them biblical, um, and the, so, so having the surgery is problematic, we'll, we'll address some of the some of the questions which we mentioned then, Bikoch Nefesh, I did speak to Dr. Steinberg in between. And then we started talking about the, uh, the question of the post-surgery issues, which I'll get to. So, so I'll just go back to the having the surgery itself. So one of the questions that I posed and I think others in the group posed was, um, as we know, Bikoch Nefesh, um, when, so, when something is a danger to one's life, overrides everything um, in the Torah, except the big three. And the issues that we discussed, the halachic issues with having this surgery, gender reassignment surgery, which the main one being this question of serous, of, of mutilating uh, genitalia, is, is, uh, is a, even though it's a biblical prohibition for a male, and as we're going to discuss for a female not, but if we're saying they have a very high sui suicide rate, these people, so can we use the Pikuach Nefesh card to now allow um, the surgery? is the question. Okay? Um, would we be allowed to use the, the, the card which says that it's a danger to life, it overrides everything. Um, so, I found in one book, here it is in front of me, Shuri Tarlarof, and where he addresses this point of Pikoch Nefesh, this is Rabbi Zilberstein from Israel, he has a, um, six volumes on actually classes he gave to physicians that were then written down. Um, we're way past six volumes, by the way, in this class. We're, go we're going on at least 13, 14 volumes. Um, but uh, he, he discusses it, and I wasn't so satisfied with his answer. He basically says, just because someone's threatening suicide, um, if they don't have the surgery, that he proves it not just related to this. In all areas of Allah, if someone says, um, you know, if, I, if you don't let me uh, talk on my phone on Shabbos, I'm going to commit suicide. So is that a reason to allow them to talk on their phone on Shabbos? So he says, we can't have people, you know, a threat of suicide. He says, what's called pikoch nefesh is either you're being forced, let's say there's a medical um, reason that your life is going to be in danger if you don't violate the Torah law. Okay, meaning your life is going to be actually in danger. So he says that would be a reason pikoch nefesh. Or if someone puts a gun to your head and says, let's say have the surgery or else I'm going to kill you. So then of course we'd allow the person to have the surgery. But he's saying just because someone's threatening again, so he's, he's addressing if someone threatens suicide, not talking about general, looking at the general numbers, he's addressing that specific case. So he proves from other areas that halachically that wouldn't warrant the violation of the Torah. Um, so he, his example is actually says he was involved in a case where they, there was a restaurant in Tel Aviv or something and they caught the guy with non-kosher. Um, you know, it was a religious guy, whatever the case was, and he says they, they were going to take his, his um, hashkacha off, you know, take the kosher supervision off the restaurant, and then the guy said if they do that he's going to kill himself. So they convened, 
would would it be allowed? Should what should we do? I mean, if the guy, if we take his Ashkach off, he's going to kill himself. It's Pikoch Nefesh. So he says the Betin ruled in that case. That's not called Pikoch Nefesh. If someone's putting himself in that situation where they're threatening their own life, um, where that it would not be a viable case of Pikoch Nefesh, what he calls. Now, obviously, in this case, the person, you can argue, the person didn't put himself in the situation. He was born with this gender dysphoria. Right, one can make that argument. So that's why I wasn't so satisfied. Again, he's talking about a specific case where someone's threatening suicide. I'm asking in general, if we speak to their therapist and we know that this, there's a higher rate for suicide for these people in general, and their therapist says this guy is, is in a precarious situation or this this gal, so can we allow it? So I, I pose this question to Dr. Steinberg, um, and I'll read you from his email that he responded to me. So... Dr. I wrote to Dr. Steinberg, this was June 26th, after our second class, or I guess, which I didn't, we didn't meet last week. So he wrote, I wrote, I'm sure you heard the U.S. Supreme Court last week ruled that one may not discriminate against transgender and must hire them and, and can fire them based on their gender. Is, um, is an issue for cashless organizations and the like. Tron, we're not going to go there. <laughs> that's, a, that's a different topic. Um, because there are cases, by the way, that were already litigated where kashrus organizations, not in Houston, other places in the country have fired a mashkiach um, because they didn't feel comfortable, um, and and it has been it's been litigated. It's in litigation um, where they sued them for for uh, gender discrimination, and as you know, that's one of the sore points. Trump is making exceptions, trying to make exceptions for religious. Um, institutions, etc. So, where the where the person is going against that particular religion, but we're not going there today. That's not our topic. That's more political. Um, anyway, so the questions I wrote, um, I am struggling with a few issues. I was asked to give a series of shirim on the topic. I'm struggling with a few issues. One, and this was my question that I posed to Dr. Steinberg. If there's a real concern where the person, based on their therapist, um, say so says there is a danger to their life by suicide, why would we not allow the surgery to be done because of pikuach nefesh? The suicide rate amongst people with gender dysphoria is 41%, according to one thing I saw. And then I, I, I told Dr. Steinberg, or Moshe, we mentioned this, I believe, in the last class, Moshe Feinstein has a responsum where he permits a woman um, who is the, who is, um, has major anxiety and he permits t um, um, tiring her tubes or cutting her fallopian tubes, um, or even, I don't remember the exact details now, but maybe even removing her, yeah, I don't, I don't remember exactly what, but sterilizing her um, because if she gets pregnant again, um, she, she just has major anxiety and it could, he calls it sakana. So we see that he'll, he permits the concept of cirrus, which is the main issue here of, of castration, at least on a woman, even though a woman, I understand, that's why I wrote him. So I, said, I wrote him, Ramosha permits serious for a woman who has serious depression and calls it a sakana. So by the way, it's not depression. I look back at the response and it's anxiety, major case of anxiety, which he says could lead to sankana, her, her um, endangering herself. Yeah, I said I understand, this is what I'm, I'm still quoting myself, I understand serious for a woman, that means um, sterility for a woman might only be a derabbanan. That means only rabbinically prohibited. So, no, it's, even if we want to use this uh, Moshe Feinstein's response as a proof text, it would only be for a female to have the procedure done, not for a male, because a male is a, is a biblical prohibition of serious, according to everyone. By the way, not everyone holds, some say, 
a woman is also biblical, the Vilna Gaon is of that opinion, but most Norman of Allah um, agrees that a woman having um, this procedure done would only be the Rabbanan, only rabbinically. So he, so Steinberg wrote me back to the, my question, indeed, changing from woman to man is the Rabbanan, by most poskim, except the Vilna Gaon, but changing from man to woman is an Isser Siris Dorais, it's a biblical prohibition. But he wrote, certainly, and this is his opinion, again, if a person is threatening with suicide and it seems genuine, there is a heter, there would be permission for him to undergo such surgery. But that can't be a general excuse for anyone with tendencies toward the other gender. It has to be a specific and individual situation. So he very clearly is saying, yes, he agrees, agreeing with me, that pikuach nefesh, saving one's life, one second, uh, Alan, would override um, this prohibition of having the surgery. So we would be permitted in a case where we speak to that therapist and uh, but you can't just anyone who says listen who threatens suicide you know uh, anyone who's had teenagers have, has known that uh, you know you don't let him go out after certain you know you don't let him meet a certain friend they threaten suicide suicide people threatening suicide in itself is not a valid enough reason in a general way of course if a therapist says this person is really depressed and you need we need to help them so he's saying in that case yes the surgery technically would be allowed, halachically speaking, even for a man. Alan, what would you like to say? Oops, sorry, I muted you. Oops, one second, Alan. Yes. Yes, so that is true. So so it's an interesting point. I'm not a uh, sociologist or scientist. So I, I can't talk to that, but I have... I did read the, the biggest study done on um, gender reassignment people was done in Sweden. Which they studied uh, 324 people who had the surgery between 1973 and 2003. That means they, they tracked them all along. And they, I'll just read you a quote from that study. Um, which is the biggest, till today, it's still the biggest uh, study ever done and the most oft-quoted by both sides because there's um, both sides of the argument, but I'll just read you from the study. It says, the general mortality for sex reassigned persons was higher during follow-up than, than for controls of the same birth sex, particularly death from suicide. Um, sex reassigned persons also have an increased risk for suicide attempts. He's talking about post-surgery it actually doesn't um, lower the suicide rate for these people. And psychiatric inpatient care um, post, um, post-surgery. Persons with trans... Yeah? No, I don't know about the... Yeah, I don't know. One second. Um, persons with transsexualism after sex reassignment have considerably higher risk for mortality, suicidal behavior, and psychiatric morbidity than, gen- than the general population. Our findings suggest that sex reassignment, although alleviating gender dysphoria, so they're saying the surgery helps for the gender dysphoria, may not suffice as treatment for transsexualism and should inspire uh, improved psychiatric and somatic care after sex reassignment for this patient group. So the study seems to be saying that, yes, the surgery helps maybe in somehow treating the gender dysphoria issue, but it, as far as depression and, and other rates, other issues, it doesn't necessarily solve the problem. So it's a very good point, Alan. That's just a new way of saying uh, they're confused about their gender, I think. Um, it's just a nice PC way of... of uh, it's a new name. that That's the new name for people who have this issue.
Um, if, yes, yeah, gender dysphoria. That's a new psychiatric term that, I don't know, the last 10 years or whatever. Um, so now, the, so again, so based on those numbers, um, and I think that's what maybe Dr. Steinberg is saying, that just saying, okay, anyone who has this, we allow the surgery because of Pikul Nefesh. If it's not taking care of Pikul Nefesh, it's not saving their life in any way, the numbers are still the same. So then it's not going to, that's obviously, we can't use that permission. If, and it's like, like Dr. Steinberg is saying, a specific case where a therapist will tell us about this person, they need to have the surgery or else they're, they're going to be in bad shape. So then maybe, and again, that's what he's saying, it has to be individual case, in conjunction with the rabbi and the therapist figuring out what the situation of this individual person is. But just to say, generally speaking, we're going to prohibit, we're going to permit it. That that obviously doesn't work. Um, one second here. Yeah. Yeah. No, no, gender change automatically means sterilization. Meaning in the surgery, that's if, especially if you're a man, for sure, they got to chop everything off. So you're going to be sterilized. Men can't have kids after they become women. Um, that's for sure. And, and it's usually true the opposite way, too, because if they're removing the external genitalia, even in a female, they're not going to be able to become pregnant. I mean, technically, they could have IVF, maybe. or But usually, they for hormonal treatments, they're going to... Um, remove the fallopian tube, you know, they're going to do stuff to her which which is going to sterilize her. It's automatic. It's part of this gender reassignment surgery. No, no, it's not extrapolation. I'm saying, again, listen, Manny, the, the surgery entails castration for a male. It's automatic. Castration means you're, you're, chopping, you're chopping it off. You're doing a bobbit. Right, so you, you, that's part of the surgery. So it's automatic. So that prohibition applies. So the question is, does pikuach nefesh override the prohibition? We're saying yes. In a case where a doctor tells us it's literally for this person, it's pikuach nefesh, it's endangering his life. If he do, we don't allow him to have the surgery, so then yes. But we're saying as a general permission, we can. You understand? Makes sense. No, I, I, I'm. Not. It's not extrapolation. Which extrapolation from what? Explain what you mean in your question. They're one and the same. Gender reassignment includes 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 sterilization. That's what we're saying. Right. Okay. So so um, now there was another. I just want to mention there was another prohibition which we mentioned. Um, which is, yeah. Okay, there's, there's a lot of things happening every day, everywhere. People, you know, that doesn't change halacha. Society's changing every day, yes. That doesn't, we're, we're discussing it. What is permitted from halacha, what is not? Uh, you're right, 99, unfortunately, a uh, large percentage of people don't care what's, what uh, halacha says. You're correct. Um, okay, so, so yeah, I'm saying what's happening is irrelevant. That, that's what halacha tries to do, is we're not affected by, we try not to be affected by society. Fortunately, we are, but 
Um, okay, speak speak to speak to your therapist about. It. Okay, okay, okay. Number two. So the question, the next question was, was um, the next one of the next issues. Just I asked Dr. Steinberg is that the prohibition we mentioned was that people. Um, people, some people say that there's a prohibition, just as we discussed by plastic surgery, of of anything that's not done for healing purposes, for medical purposes, just for cosmetic reasons or other reasons. So we don't allow you to endanger your life. So if you're having surgery to get rid of cancer or to whatever the need of the surgery is, a medical indicated need. So of course that's not called wounding yourself or that's not called endangering your life because the goal is healing. But if you have another goal, you know, of chopping off various organs, we don't allow that in Judaism because that's self-wounding, self-mutilation. It's prohibited in general. So, so how does that apply? So some would say the same would apply here. Since, you know, this guy has this need to, to become a female or she has a need to become a male, that doesn't mean it's called healing. How does that work? So, in that case, um, Ron, you missed the good stuff. Missed the punchline, but um, I'll, I'll fill you in later. Um, so, the, so, so, again, that was another issue we discussed. Is this called mutilation since you can't call it healing? And some make that argument. We mentioned that as another reason to prohibit it. So I asked Dr. Steinberg on this issue. I said, just like Rabbi Feinstein permits cosmetic surgery for psychological need, he permits it. He says, even though, technically, if you're just doing purely for cosmetic reasons, you're in Bel Air High School and all your friends are getting, getting various body parts enlarged, that doesn't give you, halachically doesn't allow you to do it. If there's a psychological need, person has low self-confidence, they feel like they can't get a job, they can't get a date, so then Rabbi Feinstein would allow it, because he's saying that is, it's all, self-mutilation is only prohibited when it's done for the purpose of harming, of mutilation, but if it's done with for another need in mind, um, in this case surely for a psychological need, so then that itself should be permitted. So I asked this to Dr. Steinberg. I said as far as uh, the prohibition of chavala, which is um, that, you know, mutilation or harming yourself, as it relates to the surgery and not considered in the context of refuah, because we don't view it as healing, Again, if it's not for a medical indicated need, so Rabbi Feinstein, Ramosha Feinstein, is, permits plastic surgery for much less issues, such as a shidduch or a job. So, show surely in this situation, this is what I'm asking Dr. Steinberg, where it could solve serious depression, w wouldn't it be considered refua? Wouldn't it be considered healing? So, that was my question to Dr. Steinberg. So, he says, You're right. Chavala is um, harming oneself is not an issue because it is a definition of chovel, is either. Um, as we discussed in those classes of Bizayon, you're doing it to harm the person with an harm intent but not when it's done for another purpose so he's agreeing with me that that prohibition of the surgery because of self-mutilation would not apply if there's a cycle if the, again, if there's issue of depression or some psychological need for the person to do it. so as far as this prohibition, so these two two prohibitions of um the threat of suicide, I'm sorry, the, sorry, the first prohibition of Cirrus, or any of the prohibitions technically would be overridden if a therapist is telling us this person has to do it, or there's a danger to their life, and secondly, the Chavalai says doesn't apply in general, he agrees with me to this, to this whole concept. Okay, so that's um, that, there was one more question I asked him, but we're not up to, the, up to that yet, so I'm going to 
I'll get back to it. So now let's move on from there. To the, so now the, the next topic was someone had the surgery. Okay, let me just get out of this. Oops, oh, I messed up. Okay, someone now had the surgery, and we're talking post-surgery. So um, um, there are many issues, as we mentioned. What happens if someone had the surgery? Either they didn't listen to their rabbi, um, rightfully so, wrongfully so, or they, uh, or they, um, you know, whatever it is, they just came to new religious observance. They had the surgery in the past. This, by the way, happens to also converts. You can have this has already. There's been many cases written about in the response, and we have a convert who presents him or herself post um, gender reassignment surgery. So how? post that surgery, how does halacha review them? Should we accept them as a convert, or how does it work? Are they male, are they female, etc.? Manny, go on, what's your question? One second. Yes. Yes, he will. No, no one else as, by the way, interestingly enough, in his book, in his halachic book, he said he, he rules that if someone, that's why I wrote him, in this book, he rules that if someone just ran suicide, if someone, that's not a reason to permit it, and he quotes other places. He, in other words, he personally is of this opinion, but he doesn't consider himself a halachic uh, decisor because there are people greater than him. So, but he himself, this is his opinion, is what he wrote to me. In his book, he doesn't mention it, by the way. He doesn't mention this permission. Okay, so it's interesting enough. He doesn't, but in, in my conversation with him, he agree, he's agreeing that it would be permitted. Ed, what are we going to say? Well, can you explain what Munchausen syndrome is for those who are slave people out there? now post-surgery they're presenting themselves to us how do we um, deal with it and as I mentioned last week the ramifications halachic ramifications whatever your view is it's irrelevant on this topic it has to be addressed in a real way because we the question is as we know halacha very clearly delineates as we mentioned in the past differences between male and female um, Okay, there are different there are differentiated roles, there's differences in observances and practice. So whatever your view is on the surgery, it, it's irrelevant. Um, I mean, whatever your political views are, whatever your views of halacha or of the Torah, as, as a 
um, a halachic legal body, one second, man, let me finish my point, we have to make, we have to decide how we're going to accept these people in what sense, as males or females, post-surgery. Okay, so, so that's something, again, then there's numerous issues, as we mentioned, um, just to read you some of the issues that have to be addressed long list of issues, I'm not even going to go through all of them, but there's the question of obviously where the person sits, which side of the mechitza in the North Nakshul, who consider the male female, so they sit on the female side and the male side um, what about uh, all the time bound mitzvahs, right, so according to traditional halacha, only males are obligated, again doesn't mean a female can't perform the mitzvah, but only males are obligated, have an obligation to perform time bound mitzvahs such as tzitzahs, tefillin um, and things like that. Okay, so the question is, if they switched, if do we consider them now in this new their new status or their old status, halachically speaking? And therefore, which box do we put them in? Box male or box female? Are they obligated in these mitzvot? Um, another may seem a silly question, but the question is, what blessing? As we know, there's a blessing that uh, we make every morning, which is um, males. In tradition, Judy makes the blessing Shaloh Asani Isha was not made me a female. Okay, females make the blessing Shasani Kertzoni has made me according to my will. This person can't make either of those blessings because originally he, he was male, so he can't say he can't thank God for not making me a woman. First of all, he wants to be a woman. He thinks he's a woman, and clearly he's not happy about thanking God about it. And he was made a man. He wasn't. He was right. So right. So he can't. Uh, so how does that work? He can't say Shasani Kertzoni because God didn't make him according to his will. So either way, he's stuck. Which blessing would he make? Okay? So it's an interesting question. And by the way, some of my soul, one opinion says, they may, there is an opinion that says, they make a blessing, blessed you Hashem, who has changed me into a woman. Okay? Shinehapech Kirtsono, something like that. So there's, there's interesting, uh, interesting applications. That's another... Side question, um, what about marriage? This obviously is a very real issue, which is who can this person marry post-surgery? If we view them still as male, so if they're marrying, if this quote-unquote woman is now marrying a male, so then every time they have relations, they would be com committing a homosexual act, if we consider the person still male. And if they, they can't marry a female, because um, what do they do? Right? So... So it becomes a big problem in marriage. How do we, who do we, who do we allow them to marry? Are they, can they marry, etc. Um, besides the other issue, which we mentioned before, Ptsuadaka, we mentioned two weeks ago, which is once a male is castrated um, intentionally, um, he can't, he's not allowed to marry, Allah we speak. So that's a whole different issue. So there's obviously major issues with that. Um, um, what else is here? There's obviously this week's parasha, by the way. I believe it's this week's parasha talks about, as we know, um, Torah's view on inheritance is very sexist. Torah gives inheritance first to the oldest male, etc. And then, so what happens if this guy had a surgery? Does that mean now he, he changes in the inheritance uh, level or not? Now he's a female. Okay? Ron checking his head. <laughs> I love you. Okay, so all these questions again. It's it's a legal question. Every the society, it's it's nothing to do with your views on halacha or anything. Halacha needs to figure this out. Whether you like their answer or not, it's it's a real legal matter. How do we view these people post surgery? Okay, so irrelevant to any of our views. Um, yeah. 
No, no, I'm asking the question. I'm posing that question. No, no, Ed, Ed, stop where you are. I'm not saying that. I, it was a question. How do we view them post-surgery? I'm just showing you where, what it would be relevant to the applications, but I didn't give the answer yet. You're making an assumption. That's your saying. But that's the question. What is halacha? The question is... Okay, so that is, that's, it's, a, it's a valid point, but there are two sides of the coin. So the question is how, the, what's the halachic view on, why, on, on if someone changed their external externality? Is that sufficient? Is that a sufficient change or not? So you're making your ruling as a rabbi or are you ruling as a independent, as a, uh, what you're saying is one side of the coin. If you really want to be, you got to grow your beard a little longer. And I don't know if your wife would be happy with that. Okay, so, so again, so there's, there's, there's again, the applications are endless um, um, in, in how this would, in obviously the question where this would be applied. Um, so I'll just uh, tell you, so, no, so, so, Ed, I'm not saying you're not posing a valid point, but you're jumping to conclusions as to what halacha, um, what the halachic ruling is. And of course, like in all things, it's not so simple. So, so at the end of the day, I'm just going to jump to the punchline, um, and then I'll go back and explain it. But the most, almost all halachic authorities agree with you, Ed, that externality alone will not decide the gender of the person. Um, meaning most halachic decisors in, in contemporary times will say that externality is not going to change anything from a halakhic viewpoint, but there's, there's many buts in that, as we'll see, and there are also those who seem to disagree, okay? Uh, other posts can disagree with that. So, so we're going to, I want to present both sides of the coin here. By the way, I just, I did get this book, this is just to show you. This was a book um, just on this topic, in Hebrew, a halakhic book, it's called Dor HaTahapuchot, which means the generation of, of changes, Okay, and it's just on this topic, it's uh, around 600 pages, quoting all responses and opinions. This guy spent uh, a long time putting this together. It's called Besugis Nituchim Actual and Balach. By the way, it comes, uh, it comes in uh, shrink wrap because, you know, it's not for everyone's eyes. I don't want any kids getting a hold of this. So like, even when I got it, it comes completely shrink wrapped. And even on the cover, it doesn't say what it's about. It says, the name of the book is Darapuchos, the generation of change, um, which is a play on words. It's taken from a verse in Parshat Azinu, I believe. Um, it just talks about Darapuchos. And then on the bottom, it just says, as talking about topics of, actu of actual sur surgery in halacha. It doesn't say what surgery. <laughs> God forbid, they don't want you, if your kid gets a hold of it, um, anyone under the age of 18, they don't want it's scary. So, uh, but, but just to show you how serious this topic is, it's, it's, it's serious enough that there's an actual book, and this is a serious book. It's not a, it's has, it has approbations for many leading rabbis in Israel at the time, so it's not just a fringe book. Um, it's something that I think the Allah world has been struggling with, and still is struggling with. Um, okay, so now... 
where I can start with. Okay, so let me get to this. Another very important question, and this is also a connection to this week's parasha, happens to be, it's amazing, we always get to connect to the parasha. So, what about marriage? Meaning, um, no, we said about marriage, but what about divorce? Let's say someone's married, okay, let's say you have a male who's married to a, a beautiful woman, and then one day she wakes up, she says, uh, uh, I would like to change my gender. She now has surgery, okay, and she now becomes... Um, changes to a female. So do they need a get or not? Um, would they need a divorce? Okay, this is a very important question. Or could they? You, could you just argue he's now married to a female and two female, sorry, he's now married to a male, she, be she becomes a male, right? Let's say that was, this is a case. Right, so I didn't say anything yet. I didn't say that. I said, well, I said, yeah, many post well, she doesn't. But the question would be, now that this woman's a male, quote-unquote a male, let's use those words, so does she need a get? Meaning because it, you, a male can't marry a male, halachically. Halachically, it's not a valid marriage. So assuming we're going with the, um, with the, with the gender. By the way, Ron, just in the United States, it wasn't until three years ago either. So, and in many states, it's still not valid. So, okay. I don't know why you're shaking your head. Did you shake your head until the Supreme Court ruling? Why is Allah worse than American? You're three years, not even three years behind American society and you're shaking your head. Okay, so, so the, the, the point is, right, so luckily it's not a valid marriage. So some want to bring a proof from this week's parsha to this question. Listen to this unbelievable, that they wouldn't need a get. Because um, this week's parsha is parsha Pinchas. Okay, Pinchas... Um, according to the Medrash and Rashi, I think quotes it in the beginning. Um, he became, Pinchas was Eliyahu Navi, famous Elijah the prophet that we talk about. According to the Medrash, was Pinchas. That was his reward for um, doing what he did in this week's parasha, um, last week's parasha actually. His reward was he never died, and he became Eliyahu Navi. He says Eliyahu Navi also never died. He went up the famous story. I don't know where it is, and tells him no Tanakh can help us here, Neda. Maybe you can help us out where he goes up in a chariot to heaven, fiery chariot. Um, kings, okay? Thank God we have someone who knows something in this group. Um, besides me, besides me not knowing it. Ron, you know that? Do you know the kings? Okay, so so anyway, so the the, tr the Truma Sadeshan, yeah. Shwa? Okay. See that? I wouldn't even know enough to correct you. The, uh, the, the, the Truma Sadeshan, who's an early authority, discusses this question, did Eliyahu Navi's wife need a get or not? Because technically he's not here, now she's stuck. He, he never gave her a get before she left, that's the assumption. He went up to heaven. Okay, so what happens now? Does she need a divorce? So the Truma Sadeshan, again, is an early authority, discussed this in the 1100s, I believe, earlier even. He asked this question and he says, no, she doesn't need a get because he became an angel. Basically what happened was he became an angel and you can't be married to an angel. It's not halakhically not a valid marriage. So he says she can get remarried, she would not without a get. She's not a Naguna, Elio and Navi's wife, Elijah's prophet's wife would be able to marry. So so uh, so in this case, by the way, this was there's a fascinating case that the Tzitzliazer brings from Chaim Pelagia. 
Yeah, no, well, he's, no, he's discussing, theoretically speaking, let, let's say whether it happened or not is irrelevant, whether you believe the story or not. The, the point is, halachically, would she be required to get again or not? We're discussing halachic issue based on this theoretical situation. Okay? But he ru- he's ruling halachically. If that really happened, so would she need to get? Listen, he's writing this, you know, a thousand years later. So obviously it wasn't a practical issue. He's just addressing from a halakha viewpoint a legal question. Would she need to get or not? Whether you believe it happened or not is not relevant to the halachic question. Okay, but he's ruling halachically she does not need to get because he's saying is, you know, it really depends on how you view marriage. There's two ways. Now she's married to an angel. You can't be married to an angel, so... The, the, the marriage all automatically becomes annulled from this point on. She was married to a man. Now, it's similar, by the way, there's a question like this. It says that there's two ways, as we know, this is, sounds like a bad joke, but it's true. There are only two ways out of a bad marriage. Death or divorce, right? So, so the question is, when the husband dies, does she not need a get because death also annuls the marriage? Or is it because he's, she's no longer married to Those are the two, st- and this is a real halachic query. Well, how do we view death? There's one way, no, do we view it? There's one way out of a marriage, which is a get, and death just makes it okay. She's no longer married, but it's not that, it's, it's not a, meaning the death itself annulled the marriage. It's as if a get, that would be one way. So there's two ways out of a marriage, death or divorce. But, but let's say, but that, so it depends on the, how you view that from that perspective. Well, the other way is no. Um, she's no longer married. It's not that death annuls the marriage. She's no longer married because the person is dead. But what happens in a case where you have neither of those two? It's like in this case where you don't have, the meaning if you're saying you need the death to annul the marriage or again. So in this case, or in the case of Eliyahu Navi, you don't have that. Um, Eliyahu Navi became an angel. So maybe she's still stuck in that marriage. She doesn't have a get, she has no death. Right, so it would be the same thing with gender. One second, let me finish my point. So they want to apply that same, the Rabbi Chaim Palaji had a case, and then this was in the 1800s, he writes about this. He says, this guy was married to a woman, doesn't write the details, but the graphic detail, but he just says, he woke up, she woke up one morning and she was a male. Um, for many years they were married, they had a happy marriage, and one morning she wakes up, <laughs> one second, okay, and she had male genitalia. And he goes to the rabbi and he says, what do I do? And he ruled based on this Truma Sadeshin. Again, it doesn't say how that happened. Obviously, it was some, you know, she had testes descend, whatever the case was. She didn't have before. We never noticed them before. Never turned on the light. Um, I don't know what happened, but whatever it is, the Chaim Palaji, again, who was a Sephardic Posek in Baghdad, I believe, he writes um, that uh, she doesn't need to get in that case. Just like Elio Anavi from our Parsha, just based on this Truma Sadeshin. Since she's now, he's now married to a man, automatically the marriage is no longer valid. And therefore, he, she, he does not need to get. So according to that, it would seem like he wouldn't need to get. Ed, what were you going to say? Every wife says that. Every wife thinks that. <laughs> Treats her like an angel. Well, first they should go to therapy. 
First they need to spend a lot of money on therapy. Okay, again, we're, we're not addressing the issue of is it delusional or is it not. That's a, it's a, that it might be a valid question. There are, I told you, there are the, um, from Ron Zalmamata, there is a big psychiatrist from John Hopkins who does say it's, it's a delusion, but not everyone, many other scientists disagree. So I don't know, I'm not a doctor, I can't talk to that point. Okay. Again, I can't make a decision between those decisions. Yeah. Yes. Oh, I don't know about DNA. DNA is a different question. We'll get to the DNA. No, but, but in the case of the get, Manny, I hear you. Yes, so, yes. clearly in the case of the angel, the true Sedation is assuming that he turned into an angel. Whether it happened or not, again, is irrelevant. It's a theoretical discussion, but the case of the that happened in Baghdad was a case where this woman gruesome. It was a real, and that, it's a play on words, gruesome and gruesome, um, right? So, so, she, right? so she gruesome, that was the fact. That was the medical fact. Now what was internally, that's a different question, which really is, gets to the heart of the question, is, is, is there, how does Halacha view, does Halacha view, and this was Ed's question before, which is a valid question, and it's a valid question for, the, for medical science too. Do we define gender by externalities or by internalities? Now let's say we have a chromosome test. Is the chromosome test going to decide, tell us if this person is male or female, or is it the, the penis or the ge- external genitalia? What what defines gender? This is a very basic question, I think, in medical science and in halacha and in legal society. You know, is gender defined by external genitalia? Is gender defined by chromosomes? Is it defined by what the person thinks they are? This is what our society seems to be struggling with today. And, and the Supreme Court didn't really take sides in that struggle. Or even, even medicine is not taking sides. Medicine... Uh, no, it's meaning I don't think I think we're still struggling with this question. What defines gender? Which is really the question we're we're all struggling with today in our society. Is gender defined by externalities? It's defined by DNA, by chromosomes, XX, Y, you know, XY, or not, or by what the person feels they are. That's really the issue here. Um, without getting into the politics of it. Leaving this is a serious question. So halacha has that same question. So you're saying, um, Manny, that it's to be defined by both by external and internal. But the problem is sometimes the cases don't match. Sometimes the external and internal don't match up. So a person might have certain types of chromosomes, but their external genitalia doesn't represent that. That, that is a real physical disparity that, that happens to one in whatever it is, uh, 100,000 babies or whatever the numbers are, I don't remember. So there is a real thing, as we know, where you have you know, external genitalia, which is not decided. So I'm assuming this case in Baghdad was this woman who didn't, she had internal testes. Outwardly, she seemed to have a vagina and, and female genitalia. And then 
one day, whatever happened, she did too much exercise, I don't know, and, and her testes descended. Whatever the case is, she woke up one morning and, and her testes descended. So, so now is she, so it was, a, it was a valid question. So what, they didn't have the ability to test the chromosomes at the time. Today we do, so that now it becomes a new question. Do chromosomes decide or do, do, or do external decide? It's, it's, these are real questions and that's why you have this 500 page book on this topic, which I suggest you all buy and read the cover to cover. I, I'm still in the introduction. It's fascinating stuff.